Man, this movie had me from the opening segment. <laughs> and what is basically a vampire story right. without really being an overt vampire story. I think he took that approach to to basically like a live action Saturday morning kids show. Yes. Well, it is that time of year for making lists and checking them twice. So we've made our list. I think we've checked it more than twice here on the Fright Club podcast. And welcome to it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. So yeah, before we get to our picks for the best horror flicks of 2021, let's look back at the great time we had, Christmas, holiday time we had, uh, watching rare exports and talking about scary Santas last time. That was a bunch of fun. It was really fun. And we were, we got to do it live at the Gateway Film Center, which is always a blast. But it was just, it was a great movie to see with a bunch of people. It really and was. And I was surprised because Gateway, for a while, they showed that film at the Film Center for a while. So I was surprised by how many people had never seen it. Yeah. It is a great one to see on a big screen. And it's a great one to see with a crowd because... You, if you haven't seen it before, you just do not expect what's coming. You just don't. It was a real crowd pleaser. And we have had, let's be honest, we have had a lot of crowd pleasers over the years at Fright Club. We've also had some where people were quite angry with us for what we showed. <laughs> <laughs> I just think this one was just really joyous. People, obviously the people that hadn't seen it before, but the people that had seen it but hadn't seen it on the big screen yeah. Had forgotten just what a fun time it is. Yeah, it's a great. It's it's just one to revisit every Christmas. Yeah, so our rare exports, we had a blast with that. Looking ahead to next, yeah, I was gonna say next month, next year, uh, and we don't. Do we know what we're showing yet for next time? Well, we or do am I not. Jumping ahead? We do not. But you picked the theme. That's right, I did. Because since we're into 2022 next year, next month, uh, my idea was horror movies that are old enough to drink. That's right. And that takes us back to, of course, 2001, and we're lucky because it's a great year. It is an incredible year. I mean, not just for horror movies, but for Fright Club-type horror films. Yeah. It was. It's a great year, so I'm yeah. very excited. Actually, essentially, whichever one of the five we get to show, I'll be thrilled to see. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, hammer that out with all the details once we know what film. But yeah, either one, any of them is going to be great, so that should be fun talking about film. Uh, Horror films that are old enough to drink. And we got lucky because the year is a good one. All right, so this year is a good one, too. I mean, we're talking about the best of the year. We narrow it down to 10, but we can't really do that because we have to mention a bunch that didn't quite make the final 10, but we really enjoyed starting with one that we we went back and forth whether or not it was going to be on the list, mainly because whether or not we were going to label it a horror movie. Yeah, but Last Night in Soho is fun. It's a blast. And I totally get the people that say, what are you talking about? It is a horror movie. I get that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And or, I totally get people who are like, it's really not. Right, exactly. And, e- either way, we, we had a ball with it. Really enjoyed it. And uh, for the sake of this argument we, we argument, we thought, well, if we don't call it a horror movie, then we'll have more room for <laughs> <laughs> something else. So... Uh, yeah, so for this conversation, it didn't quite make the list, but we loved uh, Last Night in Soho. And also for one that is streaming right now and not a lot of people saw, but you definitely should ch- check out Coming Home in the Dark, which is an Aussie road picture. Yeah. Very few cast members, really good, very tense. Also, we had a great time with the great Barbara Crampton in Jacob's Wife. Such a fun one. Fantastic, a vampire flick. And then another... Nutty, just insane. This was from South Africa. Such an insane film that we very much enjoyed. Fried Berry. Yeah, insane hardly covers it. If you haven't seen it, just 
just see it, and you'll know what we're talking about. Also, another really fun time, and we did this at Fright Club. We did. We were so happy to get the Columbus premiere yeah. of Werewolves Within, and that was a blast. That, that's another crowd pleaser. I mean, everybody loved that movie. It's impossible not to. It's so much fun. And then, speaking of Columbus, Ohio, Double Walker. Yeah. It, is, it is a holiday-themed horror film shot here in Columbus, Ohio, and was a great time, and re- really recommend finding that one on streaming. Yeah, exactly. Really enjoyed Double Walker and Row R O H. Yeah, uh, Shutter had a, an incredible run of of really good foreign horror this year, and that was one of them. And we really liked the Night House with Rebecca Hall. She had a great year because she also non horror. But she directed, wrote and directed the film Passing, which, which is, is fantastic. It really it'll is. be, I think it'll be in the running for some Oscars. Uh, but she starred in this, The Night House, and I think she went a long way toward making this as good as it is. She's it, fantastic. It also looks great. It does. Yeah, it, really it just looks, looks great. amazing. John in the Hole, not really sure if that's a horror movie. It's definitely a weird one, but we, we saw it at Sundance uh, when they had Sundance here in Columbus, mm-hmm. you know, the offshoot, and it was it was great. Yeah, and also a film that... Sort of took an, an Ottoman urban legend take on the Candyman story, a film called Candisha. Yeah, a couple of French filmmakers that were very big fans of. Mm-hmm. And then they 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 took the purge in the most obvious next step with The Forever Purge, which is pretty good. Also, Antlers, another one we've been waiting for a while. I think a lot of people liked this one a little bit more than we did, but solid and some solid creature effects for Antlers. So those were a, a bunch of the horror flicks. They were just under under the uh, the top 10s. I guess if we could have made it a top 20, that'd all be in there. I don't know. I can't do the quick math if that's just 10 or not. Probably more. <laughs> anyway, so those are all worth checking out is what we're saying. So uh, made it. All those films contributed to making this a good year uh, for horror films in 2021. But we've got the top 10, the cream of the crop. We have made our list and checked it, checked it a few times. So. Boy, let's start with one that got a lot of people talking for right from the uh, right from the Cannes Film Festival, really. Following a series of unexpected crimes, a father is reunited with his son, who has been missing for 10 years. Titane, a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high tensile strength alloys. It's Julia Ducourneau's Titane. Let me tell you about the way she looked, the way she acted, the color of her hair. Her voice was soft and and with this film, uh, Ducano became the second female director and the fourth woman to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Jane Campion was the first for the piano in 93. And that right away, that got everybody like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, put this on everybody's radar. And once people got to see it, whoo boy, I think it was a lot different from what a lot of people were expecting. Because it's just different from anything else that ever was. Yeah. Wow, this, this is a wild beast of a movie. And it it's is. amazing. It's amazing. The tonal shifts are dramatic, and yet she handles them so superbly, partly because, again, there is absolutely no chance you see what's coming from one scene to the next, let alone yeah. from the beginning of the film to the end. Yeah, because then all of a sudden during, well, don't spoil anything, but during a very violent scene, it gets funny all of a sudden. There's oh a couple God. of very funny lines. Yeah, and then it turns into a family drama, and yeah. then it turns sci-fi. I mean, the movie is nuts. It's, and it's nuts. It's so, it's just so audacious, and, and it's so incredibly unique. Yeah, well, if you saw Ducourneau's Raw in 2016, well, then you were probably looking forward to what she what she had next. I thought it was very interesting that the two main character names, Alexia and Justine, same names from Raw. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very same, interesting. Same names from Raw. And this one, right out of the gate, it got a nine-minute standing ovation after its con premiere. So this is one. It's it's hard to talk too much about it without revealing something. And if you haven't seen it, we don't want to reveal anything. Right. Because just we remember how we felt going into it right. blind and right. thinking, holy crap. I will say that if you watch the trailer... That's not the movie. No, <laughs> that it really isn't. You're getting. You know? But uh, man, what a blast. And, and to be honest with you, there's a reason that it's only number 10 on our list, which is, uh, again, I, I have a hard, I'm hard pressed to call this a horror film. I don't know how you do categorize it. Honestly, I don't. Um, it's a it's a magnificent piece of cinema, well, and I are, felt like we absolutely had to talk about and it. So it's it did based make the around list. a series of murders. Right. So. You know, yeah. I mean, it's fair to get it on here. I'm just yeah. trying to. There are okay. other movies that are on this list that may not be as quality a film, but they're certainly better horror movies. Okay. So. Well, number ten is Tatane. Uh, at number nine, a lone drifter suffering from partial memory loss accepts a job to look after a psychologically troubled woman in an abandoned house on an isolated island. That's spooky, right there. Caveat. <laughs> And this movie had me from the opening segment. There's a woman, a raggedy woman, and she's walking around in this dark, creepy house, and she's holding a toy, a very beat up, I don't know what the hell it is, a rabbit, yeah. a jackalope, and it's got, and it's beating a drum or it's beating some cymbals, yeah. and it's like, she's playing like hotter, colder, hotter, colder, without yeah, saying yeah, yeah. It, it, it beats faster, 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 cheers one way, slows down another way, and then they just cut away. I'm like, oh my God, what yeah. am I watching? Yeah, and this is the first feature for writer-director Damian McCarthy. So another very impressive first feature. And if you didn't know, caveat is part of the Latin phrase caveat emptor, which means buyer beware. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that fits. Yeah, it does. It really does. He does, the filmmaker, he does so much with so little. And so mm-hmm. there's a total of three people, yeah. each one of them superb. You know, that's that's another theme we saw this year for Absolutely. obvious reasons yeah. for COVID. So many films went minimal because they had to. Yeah. It's another example of how artists and creative people can adjust. Yeah. You can still tell great stories. No and here is one. Oh, it is. It's so good. It's so creepy. So the the lead character, he's had a recent accident. So he's a little fuzzy memory-wise. And so a bit like when you watch Memento, it's best not to know what's going to happen because he doesn't. Right. So you really are right. discovering and puzzling it out with him. Just know it is creepy as hell. Exactly. And that's caveat number nine on our list of best horror from 2021. Moving up to number eight, man, was this fun. After unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. Psycho Gorman, or PG for short. might be the most fun movie on the list. My God, this is this is so much fun. And this is one where once in a while when a movie like this comes along, you think I might hate it. I know. I wasn't sure. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah, you I did. thought this was so great, so much fun. The humor in it is fantastic. It has love for these types of films, for creature features. Yeah. And it just has a blast 
with this adventure and this this monster, Psycho Gorman, PG, and I loved the girl. Oh, my God. She's so great. Nita Josie Hannah plays Mimi. Uh, just pitch perfect. She's just great. When you see somebody that young to have the comic timing. Right. You can't really teach that. No. You, you can't. She's got it down, and she she was just a delight interacting with well, everybody, but mainly the monster. Yeah, yeah. The monster is great as well. Um, Matthew Ninabar plays PG, and also uh, you got to you got to call out Adam Brooks who plays the dad, Greg. Oh yeah. And and he yeah. is in a lot of of um, writer director Stephen Kostansky's films. So and it's funny if you just saw The Void, which is I think his biggest. F- Film, yeah, and you that, do not expect you Psycho don't. Gorman. And I, and I know The Void has a lot of love for it. I really don't. That's really not my thing. But boy, this is. Yeah, if you go back to Father's Day, which, um, it's, it's, I mean, it's quite a tonal shift. But Kostansky came up with more of a trauma sort of a feel to his films. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I think he took that approach to, to basically like a live action Saturday morning kids show. Yes. That's what the whole thing. Exactly. The tone for this movie is just exactly pitch right. perfect. And, and you, as is the, the creature build, they look yeah, awesome. They do. Not just PG, but right. some of the other All characters oh too. God. They're right. The vibe is perfect. Now, the full PG makeup uh, took hours to apply. And uh, he often, Matthew, the, uh, the actor, he spent so much time in the costume that when he was out of it, a couple of times he got security called on him because no one recognized who he was. <laughs> <laughs> because he was there first in the morning and he was the last to leave mm-hmm. because it took so much time to put it on and take it off. But boy, it pays off. Just trust us on this. If you haven't seen it, it is a ton of fun. And I love that analogy to the Saturday morning stuff because oh, yeah. that's what it is. Oh, absolutely. If you ever saw the old Land of the Lost and the Slee Stacks and stuff like that, right. uh, you'll know just what we're talking about. Maybe I'm dating myself. Uh, Psycho Gorman, number eight on our list. Up to number seven, this was one that I I championed from the get-go. This is a lesbian couple with a rocky relationship going to a pre-wedding retreat and ending up fighting for their lives when a group of militant serial killers tries to murder them. This is the retreat. Someone was watching us. Oh, my God. This is going to get the boys online pumped up for sure. We're gonna kill us. Listen to me. We're gonna get out of here together. What is wrong with these people? We're gonna kill them. Time to call. Okay, so it's Cabin in the Woods. It's survival-type horror, but it's got a nice twist. And I'll tell you what, it delivers... The gore. It, it does. delivers the blood. It does. It does. It's a very bloody, violent movie in a good way. Um, but also it's really smart. It's very well written. It's a yeah. pretty it's a pretty typical plot, honestly. But the way the writer uses certain turns of phrase early to to talk about hunting, later to be reflective of a, a horrifying cultural concept mm-hmm. that uh, and then and then at the end to turn it all back around, I thought was was really good. And to have well, let me get ahead of myself. I loved it because at the beginning, it doesn't matter if the couple is gay, if the couple are, are is a lesbian couple. But then at the end, it does. It does. And in, again, in a good way. In a, in in a, a good in a, way. Yeah, yeah, because of what it's saying. And then also, I love the ending because then just at the point where you're, you might be tempted to say, well, maybe you're making assumptions about these people in the woods. And then it has an ending for you. That yeah. Well, in case you think that, right. how about this? Yeah. I thought it was very smart. And, as we said, it delivers the, the, the blood, if you're looking for that. Writer Allison Richards, 
Uh, the director is Pat Mills, and uh, yeah, I thought it was one that maybe slipped through the cracks yeah, a little bit, but uh, man, it's worth it. It really is. If if you like the Cabin in the Woods, if you like the survivalist stuff, if you like the blood, and with some with a with the not heavy-handed social conscience. Yes, you know, I think you'll get it. I think you'll get oh, what they're no saying. Oh, there's no way you don't. Right. But it's not it's not too heavy. So, man, look it up if you haven't. We like that. Uh, the Retreat, number seven on our list of Best Horror of 2021. Moving up to number six, this was a big hit. Following the events at home, the Abbott family now face the terrors of the outside world. Forced to venture into the unknown, they realize the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats lurking beyond the sand path. A Quiet Place, part two. I don't know why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. People worth saving. Most people had finally given up hope. Well, this is not only one of our favorite movies of the year, but one of our favorite movie moments of the year. Because if you're not tired of having us tell this story, John Krasinski showed up at our screening. Yes, he which did. Which we had no idea he was going to be there. It no. was great. It, we are based in Columbus, Ohio, and they didn't have an early screening, but we were invited to the early screening in Cleveland. And normally that's a little far for us to drive because most early screenings are on weeknights. This one happened to be a weekend. So yeah. we're like, all right, we always like a weekend in Cleveland. We go up there. And who shows up at John's Krasinski? So yeah, that was nutty. Bad. Turned out he was doing a few of those yeah. around the country just to see the audience reaction and interact and, and do a Q&A. And he's so likable anyway. Yes, he is. And uh, he obviously... I'd have liked him more if he brought, uh, brought Emily Blunt well, with yeah. him. <laughs> I think he knows that. Yes. I think he's very well aware <laughs> of that. But uh, he does a great job because, as you may remember, he directed the first one, but he just co-wrote the first one. This one, he has the entire writing credit, and I guess that was part of the reason, part of how they got him back to do it. At first, he wasn't interested in a sequel, but then he got the ball rolling on an idea, and I guess he wrote the script once he got rolling about three and a half weeks, and just really well done, well-crafted, right from the get-go, when it goes back to the beginning of how the whole thing started. And really, that's the only those are the only few minutes he's in the movie. Yeah. But boy, what a what an effective prologue. Very, very effective prologue. And also, I think one of the things that works out really well for this film is that Ray, uh, Millicent Simmons, who plays oh. Reagan Abbott, oh. the the older daughter, the deaf daughter, she's the lead. So great. She's, and she's alone for mm-hmm. a great deal of it. And it really allows him to employ some very interesting directorial sort of tactics to to amp up your own tension as mm-hmm. you can hear things coming and she can't hear things coming. And yep. I mean, it's plus she's very strong. She's very good. And also that prologue, he uses the prologue to cement the relationship and the bond between the father and daughter, even when the father isn't there anymore. And that has an effect on the rest of the movie for sure. It really does. But also she has an incredibly good, I think, rapport with Killian Murphy. And if you're going to add an actor out of nowhere to yep. your film, he's a good choice because he he's so solid and he's great in this movie. He's one of those he's one of those actors who is very able to be simultaneously likable and hateable. He walks that gray area really well. And Krasinski does a great job in balancing between when when the movie makes a shift into basically two stories. Mm-hmm. When the daughter goes off on her own yeah. and leaves the rest of the family behind, there's danger in both places. And uh, Krasinski does a great job going back and forth between the two, weaving the two yeah. stories. Yeah. 
so that they're both so Credit to the tense. editor, too. Yeah, credit to the editor, exactly. Uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't think a lot of people missed that. That's one that was... That was one of the first hits, cinematic yeah. hits of the year. Yeah, S- since then, of course, we've seen the term hit expanded by something like Spider-Man. But, still, <laughs> but you're right. Uh, during the time, that was one of the first that really got some butts back in seats. And I think they were rewarded with A Quiet Place Part 2, number six, on our list of best horror of the year. Uh, number five probably didn't get as many eyeballs, but it should. After viewing a strangely familiar video nasty, I love that term, Enid, a film censor, sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality. This is called censor. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, ident investment films. Maybe Enid could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there in all of us. This is Prano Bailey Bond's first feature. We're going to talk a lot about first features this year. Yes. There were some impressive ones. Yeah, that's that's another uh, theme for this year. It's been black and white films, musicals, smoking in movies. Yeah, so much smoking. <laughs> and first features. And she has made one of those. You know, when you watch a film that has the time stamp so perfectly, it's hard not to at least admire that. And this is... Thatcher's England, 1985, everything was being blamed on what you were seeing in the media. And so they had they had this thing called a video nasty where they had censors that were just chopping up everything so that they were taking out anything that was suggestive yeah. or anything that was violent. And that was her job. And it's just a fascinating concept because to save the masses from watching these things, she is meticulously back, like, you know, rewinding and watching the most graphic, gratuitous, violent, exactly. nasty stuff. And then you're sort of watching, maybe she should be protecting herself instead of protecting well, everybody else. The idea of that, that, that hypocrisy at the, at the core of that whole idea is what gave uh, Bailey Bond the idea. She said she was reading an article about Hammer Horror, one of your favorites. Indeed. And the article looked at how film censors worked in that period. And she said it made her think, well, if violent images are meant to make us lose control, what prevents the censor from doing that? And she thought that was a very hypocritical way of thinking. I can watch this, but you can't because you're going to go out and kill someone. Absolutely. And and that, yeah. And that's a fantastic genesis for this idea. Yeah. And and uh, Enid is played by Naim Algar, who's amazing. She's amazing in this movie. She's absolutely perfect. And the th- where, where else do I know that name from? Well, Wrath of Man, which was not as impressive. Oh, that, and she looks totally different yeah, in Wrath of Man. Yeah, she does. Yes, this is much better. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, she has that brittle uptight, you know, put upon, really just down. And this is a Descent into Madness film, and then it just breaks as she meets, I know you love him, Michael Smiley. Love Michael Smiley. He's so great, and he's so seedy, and he plays one of the movie producers and makes the nastiest of all the movies. And, yeah. and then, you know, they interact. The movie completely changes course in the most amazing way. It is one of those movies that's going to completely surprise you where it's going it's very gripping. The timestamp is perfect. I, I, it's just a great movie. It is. It's psychological. It's also a bit of a, a bit of a character study, but it's it's centered around this great idea about censors and yeah, having them. There's they're saving you from this trauma and they're taking it all in yep. themselves. And and a great lead performance. And yeah, Michael Smiley. 
Uh, so so be on the lookout for whatever uh, the filmmaker Prano Bailey Bond does next, because we definitely will. And that is Censor, number five on our list of the best horror of 2021. Moving up to number four, this is one that definitely slipped through the cracks. Though how many people have even heard of this? Two mysterious siblings find themselves at odds over care for their frail and sickly younger brother. This is called My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To. I don't think that I can keep doing this. He's our brother. He's sick. We shouldn't be doing the things that we're doing. We can't do it without you. It has to be the three of us, together. What you get me some blood. Well, here's another first feature. Uh, the beat goes on. This is writer-director Jonathan Quartus mm-hmm. in his first feature. And this was shot in 20 days. I think this one has another um, air of COVID production about it because the cast is small. Mm-hmm. Maybe not quite as minimalistic as some of the others, but still, it's, it's, it's pretty minimal. A fantastic cast of three people and what is basically a vampire story without really being an overt vampire story. Yeah, we've seen in the last couple of years a lot of films that look at illness, like illness within the family. And most of them, some of the great ones, have, have really focused on when you're the caregiver and what it means to you because eventually you see yourself in these people. Like, this is going to happen to me someday. This inverts that a little bit. It's like... The weariness of being the caregiver, you know, and it's such a sympathetic film and and the three performances are magnificent. And I think that theme goes right along with the times that we're living in. Absolutely. I'm sure there are a lot of been a lot of sick people over these last couple of years, but a lot of sick people that needed care from other people. So it's it's another another reflection of the times. But it's just so well made. It's yeah. so well made. It's so heartbreaking and moving. All three of the performances are absolutely just magical. Yeah, Patrick Fugit. Yes. I always like to see yeah, him exactly. because, of course, you see his face, which is still, even though he's grown up, he's still got kind of a baby face. Oh, he does. That reminds you of Almost Famous he immediately. Uh, he plays the uh, the brother, and then the sickly brother is Owen Campbell, and then the sister is Ingrid Sophie Schramm. And they are just, all three of them, they carve out such very indelible, memorable, authentic performances. Amazing. Yeah, very much so. I think it was even here in Columbus for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of people probably missed this one. But please look it up. It's so atmospheric and, and tender in a way. It is. I mean, there's some blood. Oh, there. yeah, it's bloody. Yeah. But uh, what this family has to do uh, and, and the, the struggle between having to do things to care for your family that you don't want to do or you're that you're not comfortable doing and that creates friction between the sister and the brother and just the sacrifice yeah, that you make the and, and the, yeah. the longing to be do something different and the guilt about that feeling it's just an amazing really well-made film yeah number four on our list this year my heart can't beat unless you tell it to moving up to number three this is a childless couple maria and ingvar Discovering a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland, the unexpected prospect of family life, brings them much joy before ultimately destroying them in Lamb.
This is not only one of our favorite horror movies this year, but this is one of our favorite foreign language films, international Mm -hmm. films this year. And it's led by Numi Rapace, Mm -hmm. and she speaks in her native, well, it's maybe not her native, she speaks in Icelandic, and that's the language she learned because she lived in Iceland as a child. Mm -hmm. So she's right at home. Oh, she is right at home. And she's amazing. She's great. And and it's funny because you say that foreign language film, although there's no language at all for about 20 minutes. Right. You know, and it, it's amazing how much this the film tells you without telling you anything. It's, yep. it's a married couple and they work very hard. Very hard. And it's clear that they love each other, but they're sad. And, and you know, it just it never spoon. It's food spoon feeds you nothing. Right. And while the Icelandic landscapes are beautiful there's nobody else around no, for, i don't know where where the neighbors there are eventually our neighbors but i don't know where they came from no uh, and then eventually another family member comes in but uh this turned out to be the highest grossing motion picture in the history of icelandic cinema earning over a million dollars in the first weekend alone good for them and uh and it wouldn't surprise you if you've seen this film it w- won't surprise you to know that uh, numi rapace spent time on a farm and learned how to sheep birth a lamb because this work that they're doing, this farming that they're doing, they're really doing it. They are really doing it. And I think that that is it's such a, a brilliant idea for this filmmaker because the story is a fable. It is a fairy oh, yeah, tale, yeah. but it's so rooted in clearly very authentic work. I mean, they are. Oh. They are birthing lambs. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, they're, they're doing actual farm work. So then when things turn a little bit, and it's also just gorgeous, and the green is so green. I mean, it's so oh, beautiful. Yeah, it is. It looks like a magical kingdom, but it's so rooted in reality. I think that he creates such a great tone with this movie. Yeah, and... It's one that maybe for some people might think, well, what's what's so horrific about this? But keep in mind that you said it is a fable and things do turn and things pop up and there are there are bills to be paid. Yeah. Can we can we say that? Yeah, Um, because old school fairy tales, mm -hmm. not Disney, old school fairy tales, they get harsh. They do. They're unforgiving and folklore horror. We were talking about this. Mm Just the other day in one of our other podcasts, because there's a there's a um, documentary coming very soon that we're looking forward to about folklore in horror. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, a fable, a folklore based kind of a horror film, but uh, loved it. Also a great foreign language film. It is called Lamb, number three on our list of best horror of the year. Number two, another big one, a sequel to the original Candyman from 92. This returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. Candyman. I think I made a mistake. I brought him back. Candyman isn't real! Something's happening to me. He had a purpose for you. To be another one of his terrible stories. I guess he found me. I am the writing on the wall. The sweetest smell of blood. So many reasons to love this film. I mean, early on, we were so excited when we saw that trailer that just used the shadow puppets. Oh, my God. My Lord. Good news. The shadow puppets are in the movie as well. And the way that director Nia DaCosta uses the shadow puppets, not only for visual effect, but for narrative effect mm-hmm. as well. One of the many things I loved about this movie. It's a masterfully directed film. It's amazing. So it's not her first film. It's her second. Right. Uh, um, Little Woods she made a few years ago. It's oh, another great right. movie. Yeah. Not a horror film, but yeah. a great movie. Little you should Woods. check out. Yeah. 
everything about the way this film is structured and the way it looks, you know, because of course you have to you have to say his name into a mirror, but she works mirrors into almost every scene because it's not just a vehicle for getting Candyman to kill you, right? But but horror films and this film in particular, they are mirrors to our society. It's also set in an art community and the way she reflects the mm-hmm. art community and the way she visually represents art. It's just a gorgeous film. It is. And and it sets it ultimately I know a lot of people have seen this movie, but in case you haven't, we're not going to spoil anything, but it ultimately makes you think about the original film in a brand new way. Yes. Which is hard to do because there's so much love for that first one and well-deserved love for that first one. But it just reframes it uh, while telling a new story. And it has some great callbacks. Well, it brings the uh, the actress from the first one. Well, first <gasps> so of all, great. she's so good. She's so good. I don't so think good. she's aged That's, a day. I know. It's a little I mean, bit alarming. You, because... talk about, you talk about Paul Rudd. I'll give you Vanessa Williams. Yeah, she hasn't aged a day. It's, it's, it's alarming, really. <laughs> and you get... You get the voice of uh, Virginia Mazin. I guess originally she was going to be in the movie physically, but it just didn't pan out that way. But you get her voice. Well, if you've seen back. the original, she can't be in this movie. Well, apparently there was something going. That's okay. that's at least from what I've read. But anyway, uh, and then you've got the lead, Anthony Yahya Abdul Mateen II, who also is out right now in the new in the new uh, Matrix. Yeah, but uh, he is Anthony, and he gives a great performance. And I love just the subtle foreshadowing that his. His the, the full character name of his character is said five times. Yeah, his nice. full character name nice. is said five times. Nice. And on that fifth time, well, we we'll, won't we'll say. leave it at that. But we do want to say Coleman Domingo. Coleman Domingo, I, speaking of having a good year. Oh, my. A good two years. Well, he's. I think he's finally one of those guys that's getting his due. Right. Because he's he was a that guy for many years. Yeah. Uh, you know his face, and he oh, always... Yeah would improve everything that he was in, and sometimes in small ways. And now, with this film, with uh, Zola. Right. Uh, Ma Rainey last year. Oh, man, he's he's getting his due and well-deserved. Yeah, Coleman Domingo. But um, it's a, just a fantastic vision. I, I, all, a lot of times I go back to talking about the visions of writers and directors and filmmakers. I think it's a great vision Agreed. for not only rebooting this movie, but reframing it, yeah. reframing the entire franchise. So, so just well, well done. Number two. Uh, Candyman on the uh, on our list of 2021 horror films. Oh, and I should mention that it was just took the sec took two days of its release. This film became uh, number one at the box office, and can you believe this? It made Nia DaCosta the first black female director to be number one at the box office. Wow, that's amazing. I, I guess I sh- I shouldn't say it's hard to believe because I. With the opportunities that are lacking, maybe it's not that hard to believe. But uh, well, let's hope that she's exactly you know, that there are millions and millions more after her. Yeah. So so well done all the way around for Candyman. Number two, taking it up to number one, and this one came in early, early in the year, but it held out. It follows a pious nurse who becomes dangerously obsessed with saving the soul of her dying patient. Our favorite horror movie from 2021 is Saint Maud. When you pray, do you get a response? Oh. It's like he's physically in me. It's how he guides me. My little savior. Nothing worthwhile comes easily. This is life and death on another level. What if I'm getting it all wrong? All the good girls go to hell. Well, this not only is one of my favorite films, it's one of my favorite endings. 
The ending <gasps> of this film is glorious. It is. And, and it's another first-time filmmaker, Rose Glass. Her Amazing. first feature. Amazing. And it's so incredibly confident. She knows what she's doing. She knows how to draw performances. She knows how to frame a shot. She knows Catholicism inside and out. Yeah. I mean, this movie <laughs> Which is, is always big for you because these sort, sort of movies have to pass your Catholicism test. And, <laughs> and you mentioned the framing, too. Interesting because for the, for the tech nerds, it was shot in taller than normal. Uh, one six six to one aspect ratio. She wanted more space and headroom around the characters, so she shot in widescreen, uh, two three nine to one, and a few shots extended horizontally with visual effects. But yeah, those things create a different look, they a different do. mood in the story of this woman who, she, she pious, I guess is a good word to describe her, but she she becomes a caregiver. For this woman, uh, played by Jennifer Ellie, who's great. Oh my God, she's perfect. She's just she just just drips casual cruelty yeah. she's so perfect and condescension yeah oh, and then and then um maud it be, becomes sort of a um a project for her to save the woman that she's caring for and then and and it's uh morford clark plays maud perfect oh, yeah Z- absolutely perfect performances not only and at the same she, time no. as at the same time i think that maud becomes kind of a project for for amanda is that to do the opposite to yeah. just sort of wear away at her faith. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it's just, it's tough to watch, but it's amazing. Because there's a few scenes where Amanda is, is sort of kind to her, and, you know, oh, okay, I think she's loosening up, and then, you know, maybe they're friends. Oh, and then it turns, and then it turns. And also, Morford Clark, not only the main, um, the main, the lead performance, but she also provides the voice of when God is speaking to her. Oh. Uh, but it's, it's done in a different uh, pitch. It's pitched down, but she's the voice as well. And some of the things, the... The sacrifices that she has to make, the way that she, quote-unquote, offers it up. Penance. Penance. Mm-hmm. All painful. Painful, some of the ways that she uh, she thinks of to do that. But, boy, it, it leads up to just a glorious—it's uh, it's a glorious arc. It's a fascinating arc, and the way it goes out, man. Yeah, I can't even tell you how that, that concept hit home for me, offer it up. Because my mom would always say that. She's got six kids. We're crying about whatever. And <laughs> she would just always say that. Like, instead of just, like, quit complaining, she would just say, offer it up. You know, yeah. like, whatever— Shut up. <laughs> right, whatever whatever your ailment is, like offer it up as a sacrifice to God. And, and when that became such a theme in this movie, I was mm-hmm. like, I was just yeah. slain by it. Yeah, and but despite it's it's a film that revolves obviously around religion and Christianity. They never mention a passage or a verse from the Bible. But if you look around at the art posters in the closet, the first one has a big six 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 on it. Mm. Uh, so that's really the only reference, I guess, to straight uh, biblical things. But it's just steeped in those in oh, those themes. Absolutely, my lord. This is Saint Maud, and it came out. Yeah, it came out early in the year. It did because it was an, it was another COVID push. It wasn't supposed to right. come out. It was supposed to come out the year before, and then they released it badly, I think, because it was to to a very um, a very small streaming service. Mm-hmm. So when all the first reviews came out, you, you you didn't really know where to find it. So by the time it was a wide streamer, people had forgotten about it. So if you haven't seen Saint Maud, please do yourself. A I favor. remember now we were supposed to have the premiere we as a Fright Club we event here. How in, excited in were Colum- we? We were yeah. so excited because there was so much buzz around this movie, and then, of course, COVID happened, and the buzz sort of got worn away. And then that's a good point about the streaming service that they used. But I think now, not just our list here, I have seen it pop up on more best-of lists around, and so hopefully it's going to get more attention and people revisit it because uh, it's, yeah, boy, it is worth it. Great performance, another great visionary effort for a first-time filmmaker. So many great first-time filmmakers, not only on this list, 
but just throughout the year yep. of Twin Cinema. So many to check out. And St. Maud, our number one horror from 2021. But let us know what you think. What did we miss? Maybe there were some in the uh, also rans, the honorable mentions that uh, you Who's think should have been on malignant? the list. Did you think we were going to talk oh. about Malignant? <laughs> Who's mad about that one? A lot of people. Yes. And I give I give credit. I, I, I love that so many people loved it. Me too. Any project that people love, I'm all for. Yeah, especially it, horror movie. Anything just, that's going to bring more attention and more, you know, uh, development possibilities right. to horror. It, yay. It didn't it didn't hit us. It yeah. just didn't hit us in that vibe that people were were affected by. If you thought it was a ton of fun, I totally get it. Oh, I, yeah. I really do. But we didn't. We thought it was pretty, pretty bad. Bad. <laughs> but, <laughs> but God love you. That's Any, right. Anything that gets people talking about horror movies or movies in general, we are all for it. But hey, if you want to yell at us about Malignant, you wouldn't be the first. Bring it on. You would we, not. We always <laughs> love to keep the conversation going. You can always find us on Twitter. At Fright Club Pod. I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about it in our list. Yeah, malignant. Probably people are thinking, well, number one is going to be malignant. Mm, sorry. But, the, yeah, we love to talk about it always. Fright Club Pod on Twitter. You can find us uh, easily on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our movie reviews, our written reviews, and our other weekly podcast called The Screening Room, where we cover all of the uh, new releases. And boy, there's a bunch right now, obviously, for Christmas. You can check out all of that on the main website, which is madwolf.com. So as we already said, the next Fright Club event is going to be the second Wednesday in January as we spotlight horror movies that are old enough to drink 21-year-old movies from the year 2001. And uh, we got lucky because that is a very good year. Yep. So there's a, a lot to uh, choose from. We don't know exactly what movie we're going to be showing yet, but it's going to be a good one. We'll have more of that uh, coming on our socials. If you're in, uh, if you're in the area, love to have you stop by. It's always a blast at Fry Club. So keep in touch if you can. Have a wonderful holiday season, and until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and this is the Fright Club podcast. Hi, this is Ben Young, director of Hounds of Love. Stay frightful, my friends.